This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. My name is Robert Rim, Managing Editor for Arch Street Press. I'll be your host today. Today our guest is Timothy Rubb, the George D. Widener Director and CEO of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and the President of the Association of Art Museum Directors. Timothy assumed the position at the Philadelphia Museum of Art in September of 2009 during a time of great change and expansion. Currently serving as Director of one of the country's largest art institutions, Timothy provides an outstanding model for advocating for the power of art to grow communities and to educate and engage the public. Timothy came to the Philadelphia Museum of Art from the Cleveland Museum of Art, where he served as director from 2006 to 2009. Prior to that, he served as director of the Cincinnati Art Museum and director of the Hood Museum at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. In the mid-1980s, he was a curator at the Cooper Hewitt Museum, a New York branch of the Smithsonian Institution. He was born in New York City, raised in New Jersey, and attended Middlebury College in Vermont, where he received his bachelor's degree in art history. He continued on to pursue his master's in art history from the Institute of Fine Arts at New York University, as well as an MBA from Yale University. Timothy also holds the honor of being recognized as a Ford Foundation Fellow. While he specializes in architecture and modern art and considers his passion to be 20th century art, Timothy's leadership emphasizes the inherent value of all genres, time periods, and styles of art, and the transformative potential of art in society. Timothy, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Robert. I'm delighted to be with you. Good. What do you credit is the inspiration for your decision to study art history? And are you an artist yourself? Well, I'm, I'm not an artist. Um, and uh, I, I will tell you that when uh, I'm married to one and when we first talked about my developing skills um, to refining my skills as an artist, she set me up with a still life in the kitchen said go ahead and draw and when she came in a few minutes later and looked at what I'd done she fell off her chair laughing so I think <laughs> <laughs> now I'm falling off my chair laughing well the, the point is that that's you know some of us uh, it, being an artist and having artistic talent is a a rare and uh, I think kind of magical aptitude it's one that I don't have um, my skill if you can call it that is really um, sense making uh, looking at the visual world looking at the work that artists do and trying to make sense of it um, it's an extraordinary thing in and of itself but it's very different from being an artist and was there a particular event in your life that caused you to want to study art history do you, do you find that just intrinsically as a part of you and, and did you sense that as a boy? Well, it, it wasn't actually part of my upbringing. Um, when, when I was in, in grade school and, and junior and senior high schools, um, I really focused more on music. Um, and I was a, a violinist and a, a singer in the choir and many other um, groups and um, had a great aptitude for that and, and was very much involved with it. Um, I also loved to read and I, I decided that I, uh, become an English major in college. Well, I, I found out then that uh, although I loved to read, I really wasn't a great writer and, and altogether great with words. And uh, actually one day found myself in an art history course simply to fill an elective requirement. And um, it changed everything. Um, looking at pictures on the screen, um, 
hearing the professor talk about the history of art and the work of artists um, really changed things for me. And it also made me recognize over time, again, that I have a, a particular aptitude for looking at things and asking questions about them, um, asking what the intention of the artist was, um, thinking about how, um, how we look and more importantly, how we learn it and understand more about ourselves and the world through the act of looking. And of course, that's essential to what museums do. Sure. And you were trained as a violinist, you mentioned, and you pursued it seriously through college. And although you ultimately decided against a career in music, have you found that your study of music has helped your perception of and your response to art? Oh, I think it has. I mean, the, the structure of music and the structure of visual arts, the visual arts are, are very similar in, in some ways, and of course, very different in others. But um, obviously, um, the study of the visual arts and of art history can only benefit from um, an understanding and appreciation of the sister arts, whether it's music or architecture or dance or literature. And so those remain passions and, and things that I'm very, very much interested in today, both professionally and personally. And you mentioned the elective uh, that you took. Uh, did you know from an early age that you'd actually like to become specifically a museum director, uh, especially given your subsequent decision to study business administration? I had no idea. Uh, n none whatsoever. And in fact, I I went to, to graduate school um, in art history um, with the general idea that I would um, follow the path that many have, and that is to say, become a teacher and a professional art historian. Um, but that all changed. When I um, finished my graduate studies and uh, began to think about a career, one of the first opportunities I had was actually to work um, at the Cooper Hewitt Museum um, as a Ford Foundation fellow, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, for a year um, working on the collection. Um, and about a week or so into that experience, uh, I received a summons from the director's office. And I sat down with her and she said, well, we've had a change in our exhibitions program and we need you, you to step in um, to a project we now have underway. It was actually uh, an exhibition of Frank Lloyd Wright and the Prairie School um, and finished the project for us. And um, it changed everything. It really um, got me involved with, with museums, with exhibition making, with looking at objects in a new way and, and understanding um, not only the way they, they relate to art history, but um, how, we, how we share them with, with audiences. And I was absolutely fascinated by it. Uh, so my, my first, um, the first deflection or inflection of my career um, after graduate school came with that experience in the museum, really with a curatorial experience. And you subsequently uh, became director of the Cleveland Museum of Art, and you were responsible for implementing some really major initiatives, uh, overseeing the capital project, uh, the fundraising campaign, reinstalling the European and American art collections, and completing the first phase of a seven-year renovation and expansion plan. Can you tell us specifically about your experience in shepherding major growth to an art museum, uh, an institution that in many ways represents its city by representing its culture? Well, it's, it's a very good question. Um, you know, when you become uh, a museum director as opposed to a curator, uh, you have to in, involve yourself in, in every aspect of, of that museum's operations. And more importantly, um, understand and, and become an advocate for the, the role and the unique role that museums like ours or, or the one in Cleveland play 
in the intellectual, creative, cultural life of their communities. Um, so that was really the, the question. How do, you, how do you take an institution with a great collection, um, with a, a building in the case of Cleveland that needed to be changed with some ambitions uh, for expanding its footprint in the community and reaching out to more people and begin to engineer that change throughout the institution. Um, and it really is a, a comprehensive question and a comprehensive challenge because it, it requires us to think in new ways about um, presenting the collection, about how that collection's interpreted, uh, about how curators think about their work and, and engaging the public, uh, how they work with educators to do that, uh, what we need to understand about new audiences and and the way our cities work today. So it's, it's a fascinating um, and ever-changing and ever-challenging problem. And I'm assuming that you had to to work with all branches in all aspects of the city, be it the politicians, the educators, the uh, 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 the business people, uh, the the citizens of the city. Uh, how do you find that experience of working with such a diverse range of people? Well, it it's illuminating, it's challenging, it's frustrating. Um, and many other things that you, you might imagine. But I, I will say that at the end of the day, the, the one point to make about that, it, two points actually. One is that it's invigorating. As a director, you need to have an interest in and a commitment to working with a broad range of constituencies within your community. Um, there's no way around it. I think it's essential and I think it's a fascinating part of the, of, of the work you do. You also have to be an advocate for the, the generative place of a museum within a community. You have to make the case for, for the museum mattering to the community today and in the future. And if you can do that well, you're going to bring a lot of people on board. In a phrase, it's really about civic engagement. And were you aware of these gifts, uh, again, at an early age, or is this something that you developed over time? Well, I don't know if I would, would, would use the word gifts. Um, I, I think you have to have an aptitude for this and you have to have a, uh, both a personal and professional commitment to, to fostering a public dialogue, um, a debate sometimes, uh, facilitating, really encouraging that sense of engagement with the museum. If your trustees and your staff see the director doing this, being out there in the community, um, being an advocate on behalf of the museum, um, then the museum is going to become aligned around that those particular goals. Everybody needs to be focused on that purpose today because I think it's essential to making a compelling case for for um, our museums, particularly in, in in large cities like Philadelphia. Hmm. And um, talking about the uh, the nature of a, uh, a city itself, you succeeded former Philadelphia Museum of Art director. Uh, and Donna Kaur, and she was such a well-respected and beloved director in her time. Uh, you expressed in 2009 before assuming your role that it would be hard for anybody to follow in Anne's footsteps. So in your experience as director of multiple institutions now, uh, how much of legacies of former directors factored into your personal approach to the position? Well, I, I think you've, you've um, put your finger on a very, very important question, a very interesting issue. We inherit directors like myself who are are um, leading these very large urban museums um, and museums that have very significant histories. Ours goes back goes back to eighteen seventy six. Cincinnati was founded in eighteen eighty one. Cleveland in 
1913, um, we are leading institutions that have rich and distinguished and in many cases very complicated histories shaped by um, the leadership of trustees and directors in the past. Um, one cannot be, uh, but be um, sensitive to this question of legacy. Um, and it goes well back beyond and Darning Court here in Philadelphia, um, there have been some remarkably distinguished and successful uh, directors uh, at this institution, perhaps most notably Fisk Kimball, who served from 1926 to 1954 as director, and they have indel indelibly stamped the character of the institution as well. So one needs to understand history, we need, one needs to understand personality, one needs to understand the, the very nature of those legacies, um, build upon it, shape it, inflect it in ways that make uh, are useful for the museum now and in the future. Um, it's like running a relay race. Um, you take the baton from the runner before you um, and you continue down the course that has been set for the museum, uh, also responding to new challenges and new opportunities. So it's very much a collective enterprise over time. And you mentioned history and obviously uh, it's a living history, a very living history. Uh, you came to the Philadelphia Museum of Art at a crucial point in architect Frank Gehry's $500 million expansion and renovation, and that's estimated to take the better part of a decade to complete. So can you share with our listeners what this expansion entails and what's its current status? I'd be happy to. Um, the first thing that um, your listeners should keep in mind is that um, this is a building that opened its doors in, in 1928. And uh, so in, in, in the not too distant future, we'll be celebrating its 100th anniversary. Um, during, uh, you know, since 1928, it has not been substantially renovated either in part or as a whole. And so we have aging building systems, air handling systems, electrical systems, security systems, and the like. Uh, we have a building that needs to be upgraded environmentally um, to make sure that it's energy efficient. Um, and that it's it's uh, properly equipped to protect um, one of our city's great cultural assets, our, our collection. And we also have to make sure that it's a building that is um, rethought in terms of, of how museums work today and how visitors experience museums. Um, this was designed more than a century ago to suit the needs of museums and visitors then. And the world has changed substantially. Um, in the inter intervening years. Um, so we have, uh, we have basically, along with Frank Gehry, re-envisioned the museum, um, under, trying to understand, first of all, uh, what it is and what it makes it unique and wonderful as an historic structure, but also understanding at the same time um, how it needs to change in order to continue to function and function effectively as an art museum and a container for a great collection, but also a set of activities that are really vital to our city. And I think we've done, uh, along with Frank Gehry, who's a brilliant designer, a wonderful job of, uh, of attending to those tasks. So let me take a breath now and then I'll tell you a bit about what we, we plan to do with it. it, is a, it it's going to require a renovation of the building from top to bottom. It's an old house, but it needs to be brought up to date. Uh, but also we're going to be changing the way the museum works inside, um, creating a new public space just below the great stair hall to make circulation up and down and, and uh, uh, horizontally around the museum much work much more effectively. Uh, we need to add more gallery space because we have a big and growing collection and we haven't really added gallery space substantially, at least a substantial amount, for in several decades. So the plan calls for the addition 
of nearly 75,000 square feet of new gallery space eventually to make sure that we can do justice to one of this country's great collections. It also calls for the addition of a new education center. Um, which will uh, comprise about 16,000 square feet all in. That's critically important because we are um, one of the great, great museum museums in terms of education in this country. We have a fabulous program, great and creative staff, and it really represents um, a future for this institution. The provision of, of great educational programs, um, a learning center is essential, and we're the only major museum in this country without a learning center here, and we need one. And how does an architect approach new spaces, building new spaces within such an iconic building? Very carefully. <laughs> That's a good answer. As, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that we're a, a building that's up on a hill, the old hill called Fairmount. Um, and we're a, a, a building that's finished out or complete on all four sides. Um, and we are a, a landmark um, a great historic structure here in Philadelphia. That's really a, a, a key element of the, the city's sort of geography. Um, so it's not easy to do. And, and what we set out to do is actually make most of our changes in ways that the visitor in the future will, will hardly notice. Um, so a lot of the changes will incur inside, and I've already mentioned a few. We also had to figure out a way um, to expand museum, our, our square footage, uh, without just simply plugging in an addition on one or another side, because that simply would be unacceptable. It's not a viable solution. Uh, so Gary's plan calls for um, the excavation, eventual excavation of the East Terrace, um, which is a large space. It's about 300 um, feet in either direction, north, south, and east, west. So there's a lot of square footage to be gained there. The excavation of the East Terrace and the building of new galleries and spaces underneath that, will be, that, which will then be connected to the rest of the museum. Now that's a big step forward and it's not something we can do right away, but it's, it's, it's the best way to, to actually expand, expand the museum and actually a very practical way to do so as well. This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world, from the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions. Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Art Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with Managing Editor Robert Rim and Timothy Rubb, Director and CEO of the Philadelphia Museum and Art and President of the Association of Art Museum Directors. It's terrific to hear the, the reverence that you obviously have for the building. And as we've seen across the country and across the world, that's not always the case. 
where uh, renovations or additions will come on which clash terribly with the existing structure and uh, and it's really quite jarring so it's uh, it's wonderful to hear your plans for the for the museum and this expansion is among the four tenets of the looking to the future together strategic vision for the Philadelphia Museum of Art and when you unveiled the plan in 2013 you expressed that we have much to build on and be proud of already but if the museum is to retain remain a vital force we must not only sustain the traditions we must also realize its enormous potential in the future so Building attendance is a key theme of the plan with an effort to increase attendance by 35% to a million visitors annually. What museum programs have been implemented to help achieve this goal? Well, first, last, and always, the our special exhibitions program is going to be a, a driver of attendance. Um, and, and we continue to develop a very, very robust program of exhibitions. And um, that will do wonderful things from time to time, but it, it can't be the, the sole the only tool in our toolkit. Um, we do know, for example, that a Van Gogh or an Impressionist exhibition will bring a lot of people in the door, but we also recognize our responsibility to do um, creative and edgy um, exhibitions of contemporary art, to share the works of other cultures with our audiences here in Philadelphia, as we're doing this spring with um, with a presentation of a, of a great exhibition of Korean art. And, and those won't necessarily bring in, in the numbers that the blockbuster exhibitions will. So we have to turn to other, other tools to achieve this growth in attendance. And my bet, if I can put it that way, is on two things. One is the creative reinstallation of our collection. Um, we have great, great collections that need to be rethought, reinstalled, and reinterpreted. Um, we don't do it frequently enough. We don't do it extensively enough. Um, it's time consuming and it's costly, but I think it's absolutely essential because it's the really, really the heart of the curatorial enterprise, which is the selection and, um, and installation or presentation of works of art um, to bring them into conversation with each other to create create new ideas, new, new points of interest. And I think we can re creatively represent our collection in ways that will keep audiences interested here in the city and actually our visitation growing. And if you have any doubts about that, I would, would suggest that you look to a, a small experiment we conducted a couple of years ago, and that was the, um, the renovation and reinstallation of the Rodin Museum. Um, today, our attendance there, and largely thanks to uh, a number of people coming to an institution next door, um, has increased by 50%, and I think that's a sustainable number. And I think if we do this work, uh, albeit on a larger scale, um, at the main at our main building, um, good things can happen, and they can happen on a sustainable basis in terms of, of attendance. The second bet that I'm making, and I, I do think it's really an important one, is is to create a kind of event orientation on the part of of visitors, both longtime visitors and new visitors to the museum, by doing more programming. Um, I think it's a key to bringing new people in, to getting people interested in the museum who otherwise might not be, um, and to give them a reason again to come back time and again. Um, so we're doing a lot more programming, particularly for um, audiences we want to target for future growth, families and young visitors. So we've opened on Wednesday evenings, um, pay what you wish from five to nine. That's been quite a success in part because we offer a whole range of new and very different kinds of programs um, during those evenings. Uh, we're doing some very interesting things and innovative things with programming around special exhibitions, um, such as our Korean show, which featured just a few weeks ago, a great, great Friday evening of K-pop. And then uh, a few weeks later, a wonderful Korean pop-up restaurant, which 
delighted people. And then we're also focusing on families. Um, and to give you a good example of what's possible there, just last summer, we organized a series of exhibitions in the Perlman Building designed around the theme of children and really um, targeted towards families, along with a series of programs during July and August. We expected and we would have been happy with a visitation of about 10,000 people over those two months. Well, when all was said and done, um, we actually welcomed 27,000 visitors to the Perlman Building in July and August of 2013. And I can tell you, our staff and our trustees were absolutely delighted by that experiment. And that's part of the looking to the future together plan and what you described as activate the collections, uh, which uh, in your words, sharing them with audiences around the world that will yield strategic benefit for us. So what partnerships exist today and which partnerships would you like to ideally implement in the future? Well, it, that's also a very good question. And um, I think we have some very good examples to share with you of how that's beginning to work. Um, First, let me say that that the Philadelphia Museum of Art has always been one of the, the most interesting ways in which this community um, connects with the world. Uh, we have, for many, many decades, uh, have had wonderful partnerships with the museums in Europe and throughout the United States. When you, when we organize major exhibitions, we typically do them with a partner or even two, and very often those partners are major museums in. Europe, like the Centre Pompidou in Paris, or the Musée d'Orsay, or the National Gallery in London. Um, so, uh, j just a few years ago, uh, we we organized a, 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 jo a jointly organized an exhibition of Van Gogh's work with the National Gallery of Canada in Ottawa. And in 2015, we're going to to host an exhibition here of Impressionism that's been uh, co-organized with the uh, Musée d'Orsay in Paris and with the National Gallery in London. So, those are things that will continue. Um, we're also looking, and this is a relatively new phenomenon, looking now, as many American museums are, to building relationships in, with museums and countries in East Asia. So our Korean show uh, up right now actually represents a collaborative exchange between uh, the National Museum of Korea and the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And it's an exchange that went both ways because um, we agreed um, to do this exhibition um, but also to do with the National Museum of Korea, an exhibition of American art that went to Seoul um, just last year. And it was the first time uh, in the history of Korea that a major survey of American art had be been presented in that country. And there's much more to come, um, certainly uh, in East Asia. And I, uh, I also believe in South and Southeast Asia. Uh, and I look forward to having conversations with you about that in the future. Now, let me say, um, we also do a lot of collaborative work um, close to home here in Philadelphia and throughout Pennsylvania. And that remains, uh, will remain a cornerstone of our strategic plan. We need to, to connect with communities both near and far um, in our own state. And, and that, that, I believe, is an important obligation as well. And also close to home, you've expressed your specific ambition to renew how the institution serves Philadelphia's school children. So tell us how this commitment uh, is worked into the museum's programming. Well, we're at a threshold, and I think many cultural institutions are right now, um, which we have to cross over and, and, and essentially determine, find a new way of working with Philadelphia's public schools and serving Philadelphia's school children. Uh, for much of the history of this museum, um, it has served as a, a great cultural resource for the education 
of Philadelphia's children. Um, for decades, um, and this continues today, uh, a trip by fourth graders to the museum is kind of mandatory. But um, is that enough? And can that be sustained in the way it was sustained in the past? And the answer to both of those questions is actually no. Um, as you well know, and many of your listeners do, the Philadelphia school system is going through um, wrenching changes. And um, um, amongst well, some of the fallout or byproducts of those changes has been a, a disinvestment in, in arts education of all types, not simply the, with the visual arts. Um, so we've committed, the museum is committed to um, deepening our investment in the education of Philadelphia school children, and we're setting about to do that. At the same time, we also have recognized, and this is built into our strategic plan, that what was done in the past is probably not going to, to uh, not, not likely to be viable in the future. So we're now embarking on a, a ground from the bottom up analysis of new modes of art education, new modes of engaging schools and school children's children rather that, that I think probably will lead to some, some fundamental changes in the way we look at uh, the design of our education programs and how we work with the public schools. That's a study in process. I wish I could give you very specific answers about how that's going to be done, uh, but but I don't have them yet. But we do, uh, we have renewed, as you said, our commitment to Philadelphia schools. Um, and also we've made a commitment to figuring out how to do this going forward in a world that's very different than it was 40 or 50 years ago when it came to public education. And the relationship between an art museum and the city it serves can be so close. Uh, and so just on a broader basis, uh, do art museums generally serve their communities effectively and symbiotically? I think they do. Um, and, and they've done so increasingly well and in, in much more diverse ways over the last generation or so. Um, civic engagement is not a new phrase. Um, it's something we, I and my colleagues have been thinking about for a long time, but it continues to be a focus, uh, the benefits of which are, as you suggested, a kind of greater and broader sense of engagement with um, with with our communities. Um, we recognize that in the past, uh, museums may have been perceived as serving um, um, an elite few um, and not for everyone. But I, I think that with the changes in American society and 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 education in in the United States, and also with the changes in the way that museums view their missions. Um, that you're going to see this trend continue. That is towards a broader engagement with the community, towards um, towards the development of, of ways in which we can welcome successfully and effectively uh, uh, um, more people into the museum and, and make it become, or fulfill, it, fulfill its promise, I should say, uh, truly as a great community resource. And working to fulfill that promise, what's the biggest challenge you faced uh, specifically in the city of Philadelphia in maintaining such an historic institution uh, while implementing change and improvements to existing collections, to partnerships, to initiatives? Well, it, it, as, as your question suggested, it, it is in some ways a resource issue. Um, if we had more, more funding and staff to do more in, in education and community outreach, we, would, we could do we could do even better than we are right now. But I also think it's a matter of, of institutional focus and commitment and the priorities that you set. Uh, for a museum like like ours, and so a commitment from the trustees and staff to audience engagement, to reaching out farther, farther to welcome welcoming people into the museum, uh, to be outward looking or outward facing, as we sometimes 
uh, speak about it, is, I think, a, a key perceptual shift within this and, and many other institutions. If people feel, and I, I've, heard the, I've heard this said many, many times now that this, this is changing, if people feel that we're, we care about the city, if we are um, outward facing and, and, and seeking to engage people, throwing our doors open wide and inviting people in and giving them many reasons to, be, to come to the, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, to make it their art museum, uh, I think that you'll see happen both in word and deed. And you also serve as president of the Association of Art Museum Directors. So what does this leadership position entail and how does collaboration among art museums across the country work uh, and by extension across the world? Well, the AAMD, as we call the Association of Art Museum Directors, is an important group. It, it represents the directors of um, nearly 250 of the, the most significant museums in this country. It's not a big group, um, and it's a, it, it provides a lot of different, I think, a great deal of value to, to both the museum community and to the country. It's a forum, first and foremost, for, <clears throat> for uh, um, me and my colleagues to get together and talk about um, issues, what's changing in museums today, um, in the fields of education, in fields of conservation, curatorship, and so on. It allows us to, to, to address issues um, of the type we've been discussing for the, the past few moments. Uh, what is the nature of our service to, the, to community and our relationship to the cities and towns and cities that we serve? Um, what are the the, the, um, the the challenges we see on the horizon? They can be they can range from uh, financial challenges to the challenge of, of showing art that, that uh, showing art that seems to be changing all the time and how it's made and how it needs to be presented um, to asking how we we change our work in response to new educational needs and um, and new educational challenges as well so it, it basically is a forum for um, discussing all of these issues where we came from where we are today and where we're going as a field for sharing of course um, best practices and also for representing and this is an important issue representing the value of museums today and in the future to their communities and to our country those are all important issues as you can as you i'm sure you will agree yeah and and can the the aamd act as a catalyst for collaboration among art museums well, in, in fact, it, it, yes, the answer is yes to that, and in fact, it does. Um, we collaborate in a lot of different ways. Of course, uh, all the time we're working on projects together. They can be um, things as straightforward as um, the development of exhibitions or, or the sharing of our collections through loan. Um, they, can be, um, they, they can include the sharing of best practices and, and the adopting of best practices as well when it comes to um, the care and conservation of our collections or the way we conduct educational programs. Um, we can share and, and, and copy from each other new trends in philanthropy and best practices there. Um, and we can also promulgate, discuss and promulgate in a changing world, the kind of uh, ethical and professional standards that we want to promote and adhere to um, in the museum field. And I think that's a very important issue as well. And museums across the country, they obviously, they're in different cities, each has their own economic, their own social context. Uh, are there more similarities than differences that you find among museums the, around the country? <laughs> it, it, that really depends on what day uh, you ask me that question. <laughs> Today's Friday. 
Some days, some days I think yeah. there are enormous similarities, and of course there are. We we collect, we present, we interpret, we educate, we care for great great uh, these great cultural resources, these wonderful objects we have, and we hold in trust for the benefit of the public. Um, we do programs, so all of those provide uh, a lot of common ground for discussing um, how we do these things, how we do them differently, and how we do them better. But also, and I think this is an equally important point. Um, I've come to recognize that uh, we are also very, very, very different one from the next. Um, and those have to do with, with the very nature of our museums. Some are, are all-purpose or general museums like Cleveland and Cincinnati. Uh, others focus on modern or contemporary art or American art. Um, some collect, some don't. Some serve very different kinds of communities and have very different histories. So all of those make us unique and, and make us uh, a wonderful kind of but very diverse group of institutions that serve the public good in a lot of different ways. And a kind of a broader philosophical question to close, uh, Timothy, how can we continue to enhance the vital role of art in our society today? Well, I used a, a word earlier in our conversation, um, and that was sense-making. And to that, I would add <clears throat> place-making. Um, what I often say about the role of museums in, in contemporary American society is that our job is to bring the present into fruitful conversation with the past. Um, make uh, the, the great cultural heritage um, for which we are responsible um, come alive and make sense and be valued in the present day. Um, we're about making meaning for people and, and making meaningful connections to things that matter deeply and, and are about our shared heritage. Um, if we can do that and we can do that well, um, then I think museums will continue to play both a relevant and a productive role in, in American society going forward. We are also, and I think this is especially true of museums like the Philadelphia Museum of Art, we are wonderful places. And I would, would argue that we are a great civic place. Um, we are places where the community, uh, to, to which we want to gather the community, where we want to make the community feel feel welcome, uh, where the community can come together. And in an increasingly fragmented world, fragmented in terms of politics or social divisions or economic divisions as well, to have these places where a community can gather um, and we can come together, I think is, is absolutely vital, especially in, in cities like Philadelphia. And the museum can and should play that role. That's why I speak so often and so passionately about the museum as a great civic institution and about our, our, the importance of our, our responsibility to be civically engaged with Philadelphia now and in the future. Yeah, and while you're talking, it brings to mind music as well. We were talking about music earlier and the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Philadelphia Chamber Music Society, the Kimmel Center, the Academy, the, the, the opera, all of these things uh, directly tie to civic engagement, involvement in this, what you called, and accurately so, this fragmented society. Uh, and there are so many other institutions around the city and around the country that have that role. And I, I really do hope that people can uh, can latch on to that and see it as part of the city as much as the jobs and as much as the the uh, the black and white things. Uh, these are things that really help to define and grow a city.
But thank you. I think it's critically important. I, re I really do. Well, the best way to reach Timothy and to support the Philadelphia Museum of Art is through philomuseum.org. Uh, listeners can click on the webpage links above this podcast for further details. And uh, Timothy, it's been wonderful to have you with us here today. Thank you, Robert. I'm delighted to speak with you. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.